Hi, I'm Karen Elliott, and you're listening to the District B-Sides Podcast, where you'll hear in-depth conversations with council, staff, and community members to take you behind the decisions that are being made on topics that matter to Squamish. Now let's tune in and join the conversation. Hello. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We are recording from the traditional territory of the Squamish First Nation. We are grateful to be on these lands today as we talk about and think about how we interact with the environment. As you are obviously aware, if you are listening to this, we have a podcast as the District of Squamish. We are doing a number of episodes that focus on climate change. And the focus of this episode is on climate change and the built environment. I'm joined today by Alison Jenkins and Kareem Ledoux, two experts in this field. So I think we can start by introducing ourselves and how our professional roles interact with this topic. So I'll go first. So my name is Ian Pickett. I'm the Manager of Sustainability and Climate Change here at the District of Squamish. And most of my job relates to implementing our Community Climate Action Plan. As many people listening will be aware, in 2019, the district declared a climate emergency. And in 2020, we released our Community Climate Action Plan or CCAP. So my job is mostly focused on implementing that plan, which consists of six big moves. So two of those six big moves relate to buildings, one of which relates to retrofitting existing buildings. So taking the infrastructure we have and making sure it's more efficient and sometimes uh, fuel switching or electrifying it. And the other big move relates to new buildings, designing those to be as efficient as possible and using low carbon uh, energy when, when possible as well. Part of my role, so when I when I started shortly thereafter, we uh, we created the CCAP and that segued into Kareem's role because this is such a large topic and there's so much work that needs to get done. So I'll pass it over to you, Kareem. Thanks, Ian. So my name is Kareem Ledoux. I'm a professional engineer and certified energy manager. Most of my career, I've been uh, in the building energy management sector, both in new construction and existing buildings. Uh, I've been in my role as senior energy specialist with the district for almost a year now. Uh, I look for opportunities to increase corporate and community building energy efficiencies in both Squamish and Whistler. Fun fact, I worked in public works department for four years prior to this role, and I developed a great understanding and appreciation for water and wastewater utilities. There's a lot going on underground that keeps things flowing. Over to you, Alison. Thanks, Kareen. Yeah, my name is Alison Jenkins. I'm a climate solution specialist at the Community Energy Association, or CEA for short. Um, my background, I'm, I'm from the UK, you can probably tell from my accent. And so my background in the UK is in renewable energy. And in particular, I worked in the wind energy industry in the UK. And uh, since coming to Canada, I've um, sort of migrated a little bit um, into the related space of community energy management. And I've been with the Community Energy Association for about a year and a half. So the Community Energy Association um, is a non-profit organization and we work with communities in BC and beyond and we work with them on climate action. So we helped communities to access federal, provincial and private funding to prepare climate action plans and implement low carbon projects and programs. Great, thank you both. Uh, also, it's worth noting that uh, the Community Energy Association was the main consultant that helped us to create our CCAP. So they're very well, well aware and involved in what Squamish is doing. 
So let's uh, let's start the conversation about uh, buildings in Squamish with corporate buildings or buildings that are owned and or run by the district of Squamish as a municipality. So we recently completed our municipal energy and emissions plan, and this outlines how we can meet our target of 45% reductions by 2030. This is a very, very ambitious target because our community is growing quickly. So a 45% reduction by 2030, we actually calculated was somewhere in the order of actually about a 63% reduction from business as usual, given the, given the growth of our building envelope. Kareem, I'm gonna put you on the spot again and gonna ask you to talk a little bit about some of our corporate buildings and maybe some opportunities to reduce emissions in them. Sure. So the district owns, uh, we'll say 18 buildings totaling over 208,000 square feet. 16 of these are municipal facilities. That means owned and operated by uh, the district and district staff. Uh, the district also operates 55 utility outbuildings. So those aren't buildings that are occupied. Uh, they're mainly pump stations for water, sewer and stormwater. Um, just to throw numbers out there, we have 89 electricity accounts with BC Hydro, 16, 16 natural gas accounts with Fortis BC. Just to give you an, an order of magnitude on the size of portfolio we're looking at for energy management. So about half of those 16 municipal facilities were built in the 1970s, one of which as far back as 1965. Uh, on, the, on the human scale, I'd like to say that's not that old, but on the building scale, it's getting there. Uh, in June 2019, Council adopted the Real Estate and Facilities Master Plan. The plan identified the need to replace eight of those 16 facilities to address end-of-life conditions, improve community safety, and or address overcapacity issues. You may have experienced some, some of these issues uh, in your experience in the community. Um, I'd be surprised if you hadn't. <clears throat> Four facilities were identified to be at end of life and only three were deemed to be in suitable condition and function as they are. Five new facilities are required to meet the district's growing needs. So the 10-year plan sees a 70% increase in built floor area. This growth, if not properly planned, could add to the already significant contribution to corporate greenhouse gas emissions. So one facility in particular stands out, that's Brennan Park Rec Centre. The Rec Centre is a major consumer of energy and source of municipal emissions, uh, accounting for 420 tonnes of CO2 equivalent per year of emissions, or about one third of Squamish's corporate inventory. That's one building accounting for 30% of the municipality or 32% of the municipality's uh, greenhouse gas emissions every year. That's quite significant. And it's not untypical or atypical for a rec centre, especially one built in that era, which I'll talk a bit more about. Uh, so Brendan Park has been identified in that real estate and facilities master plan as requiring significant renovations and expansions to meet the community's growing needs and to bring it up to code. We have a unique opportunity here, really a once in a lifetime opportunity to tackle this significant source of GHG emissions. The facility is slated to undergo significant renovations and improvements and expansion with some major building systems at or near end of life. So now is the perfect time to invest in solutions that are both energy efficient and low carbon. One stat that absolutely blew my mind when I was working on this project, Kareen, was the fact that the Brennan Park, the Brennan Centre on its own 
could exceed our emissions target if we did not do anything about it. So yeah, it certainly certainly highlighted it as a problem, but as you noted, also also an opportunity. What are what are some of the ideas that um, you and your professional capacity are thinking about uh, as ways to make it more efficient and less greenhouse gas intensive? Yeah, um, yeah, it is a great opportunity here. Also a bit scary, the size, the magnitude uh, of the impact of this one single facility. Um, we're actually quite lucky or we're actually in an interesting situation here with Brennan Park in that we have an ice arena and a swimming pool, an aquatic center. And those are very nicely coupled. There's a synergy there for energy recovery. We're currently doing an energy study of the Brennan Park Rec Center through Fortis's Custom Energy Study Program. 75% uh, of the cost of the energy study is covered by Fortis. Um, Brennan Park was originally built in 1978, which includes the ice arena and civic center. So essentially that whole east side of the facility. Uh, the aquatic center was added on in 1992. The facility has undergone many energy efficiency upgrades over the years, like LED lighting. You'll see that almost throughout the building. Uh, there's condensing boilers for pool water heating. There's also an energy recovery system that recovers uh, energy from the pool deck uh, to preheat the air, ventilation air coming back in, and to also preheat water for the any water use uh, at the facility. So we really have an ideal situation at the rec center where the ice arena which needs cooling for most of the year, can reject heat. And rather than reject that heat to the atmosphere, we can capture that heat and use it to preheat water in the aquatic center. So that's the real opportunity that we're seeing at Brennan Park right now, uh, particularly that um, the refrigeration plant is nearing end of life and needs to be replaced. So it's perfect timing uh, to, to take action on this. Uh, the energy study will crunch the numbers on that, present a business case. And as we've seen happen in other recreational facilities of this nature, uh, it's, it's a green light to go ahead and, and uh, do that upgrade. So we're really looking forward to, see, to seeing that initiative implemented. Um, one thing I'm really excited about with the Brennan Centre is it's a, it's a facility. I'm there at least once a week through much of the year. So... I think it's a really cool opportunity to to showcase some of these technologies and some of these innovations uh, in a way that so many people in our community can see them. So I, I feel like there's a real educational opportunity associated with it. Definitely, so if, if I may interject. Um, oftentimes, building energy efficiency isn't very glamorous. It's, you know, it's a bit behind the scenes. So we're talking about the mechanical systems for space heating, water heating, et cetera. Uh, it would be great to include some educational components for building visitors and occupants to actually understand what's going on behind the scenes and, and appreciate uh, what we're achieving, what we'll be achieving here with this retrofit. And just one thing I was going to add, that the District of Squamish is certainly not in a unique situation that your rec centre um, contributes the, the greatest majority of your energy consumption and greenhouse gas emissions out of all of your buildings. At CEA, we've worked on a number of um, corporate energy plans, and time and again, we see it's the rec center is uh, the biggest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions and use it has the greatest energy consumption because of the ice rink and the aquatic center. So, but great to see that you're kind of utilizing the opportunity of um, infrastructure reaching the end of life and using that opportunity to, uh, to retrofit and upgrade. 
So that's a, a really cool example of, uh, of a way to retrofit an existing building to be more climate friendly. Kareem, can you tell us a little bit about the new Valley Cliff fire hall that was recently constructed? Because from my understanding, we were able to hit some some pretty pretty big targets with it in terms of its uh, in terms of the its function. Yes, certainly. The new fire hall in Valley Cliff uh, was identified as a core need and high priority through that real estate and facilities master plan. Um, and so it's currently undergoing, it's being replaced. It's been demolished and a new building's getting, getting built right there right now. Uh, there's a great opportunity here to influence the design and construction of these new facilities. As I mentioned earlier, there are uh, five new facilities that are, that are going to be built, uh, well, are planned to be built over the next 10 years. And these buildings will be in the ground for possibly up to 100 years. So let's make sure that we're putting in systems now or buildings now that are energy efficient, low carbon and, and future proof, if you will. Uh, so specifically with Valley Cliff, uh, we had the opportunity, I was asked to, to provide input on the energy utilization for Valley Cliff. So setting an energy performance target really. In BC, we're at the forefront in all of Canada in having an energy step code in our building, in our BC building code. Uh, the other provinces don't have this, but what the building code is allowing us to do is to have a performance pathway to build new buildings uh, to a higher level of energy performance. So higher performance equates to lower energy use. The tricky part with Valley Cliff Fire Hall is that it doesn't strictly fall within uh, the occupancy types, if you will, of the energy step code. Um, there's the reason behind it is that there's a part of it that has the big bay doors and it's really hard to make that energy efficient when you have doors opening uh, several times a day throughout the year. The, the space condition, the space that's heated or cooled, as soon as you open the door, you're losing energy to the outside, uh, whether it's heating or cooling because energy went into either of those scenarios. Um, with that said, we did specify quite an aggressive energy performance target uh, of 110 kilowatt hours per meter square per year. And so when we provide this call an energy utilization intensity, and that allows us to compare energy use per meter square, it normalizes energy use of the building so we can compare different facilities of different sizes. So if one fire hall, for example, is using 300 kilowatt hours per meter square and the other is using 100 kilowatt hours per meter square, that's an indication that the one at 300 uh, is not energy efficient and, and there's opportunities there to reduce its efficiency. So by designing and taking a, a building as a system approach to desi designing an energy efficient building, um, we set that energy target, the performance target, and uh, we'll verify that once the building's up and running to see that it's actually uh, operating as intended. Yeah, one thing that has really struck me as I've been learning more about buildings is it seems it's such a stitch in time with a with a new building. Uh, it it it's so much trickier with an existing building to retrofit it because you're you're dealing with existing systems and and the spatial orientation of things etc. Uh, as you noted that there's a real opportunity 
to put us in line for up to 100 years of, of lower energy use and emissions with a, with a new construction. My, my own background before I stepped into this role is actually in climate change adaptation. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is the other benefits of these types of constructions. And, you know, one of them is the air quality, you know, uh, also the fact that a heat pump can run both ways to provide both heating and cooling. Those are just a, those are just a couple. And please uh, chime in if, if there's any ones that stick out for you as well. I'd like to add to that, uh, improving the resiliency of buildings with energy recovery ventilation systems. Uh, thinking ahead and specifying a unit that can that has the, the space to add an extra filter, like a HEPA filter, so that when we're building airtight buildings, which is really is the key for hitting high performance in new construction, is building airtight buildings where air isn't leaking out through the building envelope. It also requires a energy recovery ventilation system to make sure that building occupants are getting enough oxygen. Uh, there's ventilation codes uh, with minimum oxygen requirements. Um, in let's say, for example, there's a wildfire burning nearby. That's not an unusual scenario, unfortunately. Uh, with a ERV, energy recovery ventilating system, that has the capacity to hold a HEPA filter uh, the outside air gets filtered, so all that smoke, fine particulate, gets filtered out and it provides good indoor air quality in the building and provides a bit of a safe haven, especially for people with respiratory issues, etc. Interesting. So that's a really good overview of, of corporate buildings. The community buildings, I can't lie, the, when I look at the CCAP of all of the targets we have to hit, Getting our community buildings or the or the houses, uh, multi-unit family houses, um, single-family houses in our in our community, getting them retrofitted, a uh, large proportion of them by 2030 to hit our target goals. I feel like that's one of the one of the most ambitious things we have to do. And Allison, the Community Energy Association has been helping communities along this for for quite some time. So. Would you mind uh, sharing some of the some of the initiatives that you've helped communities engage in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a program that I'm currently involved with is with the city of Kelowna, and um, they're looking at a retrofit financing strategy. So when you talk to homeowners and you ask them to identify what's what's the barrier, what's stopping them from making their home more energy efficient or switching to you know a low carbon heating system. There's a number of barriers, but the one they often speak about the most is the upfront initial cost. Um, if you're doing a deep retrofit to your home, so you're trying to significantly uh, reduce the energy consumption of your home, it can run into tens of thousands of dollars. And so um, that upfront cost is a barrier for some people. Um, we're quite fortunate that there are a number of um, federal and provincial rebates available for certain technologies right now, whether that's for a heat pump or whether to re replace your windows or add some new insulation to your home. But the, the rebates can only go so far and uh, there's still the upfront cost. So um, with the city of Kelowna right now, we're looking at what financing mechanisms um, can the city use to help homeowners pay for those retrofits because they also have quite ambitious targets for retrofitting their existing residential buildings. So things we've been looking at um, with them are uh, something called PACE or Property Assessed Clean Energy, 
whereby uh, the municipality can lend money to homeowners and they repay that over time alongside their property tax bill. Um, another option is on-bill financing, so a partnership with the, the utility where the utility lends the homeowner money to pay for the upgrades. And again, the homeowner repays that over time alongside the utility bill. And of course, the energy savings help to pay for, help to repay that loan. And another option is partnering with um, third party um, investors like local credit unions to offer specific um, energy efficiency loan products. So the things we're kind of learning are that homeowners need a long repayment term and ideally lower interest rates to, to be able to kind of to make this work, to get the savings that they need kind of monthly um, from their from their um, utility bill to repay to repay the loan. So, yeah, that's just one of many barriers that homeowners identify as to kind of why they have not perhaps as of yet made their home more energy efficient. And so looking to address that barrier. One of the one of the programs that the Community Energy Association is helping us here uh, in Squamish with is a heat pump concierge program. So it's essentially a lot of those similar ideas where uh, someone essentially facilitates the homeowner and uh, through a, the purchase of a, of a heat pump, uh, helps them navigate the funding opportunities, uh, et cetera. Maybe, maybe to start, let's, um, let's discuss how a heat pump works. It's one of those things that I find entirely unintuitive. I think, Kareen, you mentioned this before in this podcast that a heat pump is 300% efficient. Can you um, take a stab at explaining in a couple sentences again how, how that is? Maybe you can each try and somewhere in the middle. Okay, you're really testing me, <laughs> my technical <laughs> know-how, but I'll give it my best. And any listeners out there who are tech savvy and particularly heat pump savvy, forgive me for any... <laughs> Uh, misinformation here. I'll do my best. Uh, so the efficiency of a heat pump system is, I guess, treated a bit differently than the efficiency of, let's say, a gas boiler. Uh, with a combustion system, usually you know, the best you're going to get is 98% efficient. So you're never going to get one unit of energy out for one unit of energy in. It's always going to be less than one. Uh, so 98 is optimistic. Older systems, like if you're looking at our building from 1965, it's very likely that the efficiency of that building or that gas-fired equipment is 65%. So you're burning a whole lot of gas for very little. So 100 units of gas to get 65 units of heat out of it. So if we switch over to heat pumps, uh, one key difference is that they're electric. So already with the fuel source that you're using, the emissions are lower. I've gone on a bit of a tangent from Ian's original question, but I'm going to come back. Um, so we measure a coefficient of performance. And the concept here is that we're using electricity to do work to move heat around. And so we use, let's say, uh, 100 units of electricity and we can produce 300 units of thermal heat energy. So that's your 300% efficiency. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's a tricky, it's a really hard hard concept to um, to explain, but I can have a stab as well. And it's, <laughs> yeah, heat pumps, I think are quite confusing for a lot of people. But, um, you know, if you're not familiar even with kind of the terminology of a heat pump, essentially it's a type of heating system for your home. So you might be more familiar with 
a furnace, so it could be natural gas or propane. And I would say that one of the main differences is that whereas a furnace uses a fossil fuel and you burn that fossil fuel to produce heat, and that's why it's always going to be less than 100% efficient, super high efficient furnaces might be 98% efficient, older furnaces probably 70 to 80% efficient. But a heat pump works fundamentally in a different way in that it moves heat or thermal energy from one location to another. So there are different types of heat pumps. There are ground source heat pumps, air source heat pumps. But in most cases today, when we're talking about retrofitting homes, we're typically talking about air source heat pumps. It's more practical to install them, to retrofit them to buildings. Different opportunity with new buildings, perhaps. But the idea is, is that they can transfer heat from outside to inside. And the bit that's really counterintuitive is that they can do this in winter, even when it's colder outside than it is inside, because even though it's cold outside, there's still thermal energy in that air. And so um, essentially the heat pump, um, whereas normally um, heat would flow from a hot place to a cool place, but the heat pump, by putting in some energy, some electricity, it can essentially reverse that cycle and it can take thermal energy, even from a cold space outside and move that inside your home. And the really neat thing about a heat pump is that it can run both ways. So it can heat your home in the winter, but it can also cool your home in summer by moving the excess thermal energy, the heat from your home and move that outside in the summer. So whereas if you have a furnace and you wanted to cool your home in summer, you would have to go and buy and install an air conditioning unit. But with an air source heat pump, it's an all in one system. You can heat and your, cool your home all at the same time. Um, the reason we can talk about efficiency um, of greater than 100% with a heat pump, but we often use the term coefficient of performance, it's because we're moving heat from one location to the other as opposed to combusting a fossil fuel where the efficiency could never be more than 100%. Essentially, the electricity that you put in to move the heat from outside to inside, you can move more heat than what you had to put in an electricity. And that's why you can have a coefficient of performance of two or even three and above. Um, and the thing that's really neat about heat pumps is that they run on electricity. And here in BC, we have... Um, our grid is essentially sort of 95% renewable energy, and therefore the greenhouse gas emissions associated with um, heating and cooling your home from a heat pump are significantly lower than if you're using um, a natural gas furnace. Of course, there is the opportunity as well to use renewable natural gas in your furnace um, to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, but again, efficiency-wise, you're never going to get above 100%. Thank you both. That was excellent. Well, I was going to take a stab, but I think you two have both uh, <laughs> shut me up pretty good here. <laughs> uh, the one video I watched a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to wrap my head around it that I it would you can almost think of a heat pump as like think of like a, a a circle with a bicycle pump on one end. So you're squeezing, you're compressing a fluid which heats it up, and then like an aerosol spray on the other hand on the other hands. So you're just compressing a fluid and then expanding it. And as Allison noted, it's I just find it so cool that you can still take heat, even though that that temperature is colder than what you what you need it to be. It's one of the things I love about being in, engaged in climate change work, although it can be really depressing, is that we're always learning about these really cool technologies, and it just never ceases to amaze me the 
degree to of human ingenuity. We, it's such a clever way to to move heat, even though the air is cooler than it needs to be. I just find so interesting. Yeah, I agree. It is very interesting. Uh, and if you think about it, we all really have mini heat pumps in our homes already. If you think of your fridge, it's essentially a heat pump. You're taking air from inside your fridge and using refrigerant cycle to pump that heat out. That's why behind your fridge, it's hot. And inside your fridge, it's cold. Now a heat pump, what it does, it has an the, um, the ability to switch direction. So I guess in a fridge world, you could turn it into a warming tray of sorts. <laughs> yeah, and not to mention the significant climate change adaptation benefit of us having cooling in our homes, which unfortunately is looking like it might be something we are going to require more and more often in the future. Particularly after the summer we've just had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to take a minute and talk about another really exciting initiative that we're engaging in, actually also with the Community Energy Association. Uh, so we've just gotten some, some funding to, to embark on a embodied emissions project. And embodied emissions are essentially the emissions associated with products and services that we have. So the embodied emissions of a building looks at the extraction of the of the materials, the transportation of them, the construction of them, uh, etc. And one thing that's uh, really interesting is the embodied emissions of a building, uh, a typical building, it's about 25% of their total emissions. Uh, but as we start to implement some of the uh, some of the innovations that Kareen was talking about earlier, though our buildings are getting more efficient and using less and emitting less greenhouse gases. So embodied emissions are actually proportionally higher. And if we start getting up to like step four in the energy step code, embodied emissions may represent over 50% of the life cycle emissions of a building. So it's it's becoming a bigger, uh, a bigger challenge or a bigger priority. And so we're gonna be working with the Community Energy Association uh, to start to really think carefully about embodied emissions in our community. There's a lot of reasons why this is important one is that Squamish, and we're actually partnering with Whistler as well. So these are two communities that are growing quickly. So we have an opportunity to influence the development of a lot of new infrastructure. Um, another really important thing is that embodied emissions are upfront. So we're not looking at a 30, 50, even 100 year lifetime. All of those emissions are emitted into the atmosphere essentially by the time the building is, uh, is ready to be occupied. And another cool thing about it is there's some really, really interesting and quite viable technologies associated with embodied emissions and buildings actually can even be carbon sinks. So there's a real opportunity for this to be a, a good news story. Uh, other really fascinating linkages, uh, you heard us talk about embodied emissions in the another podcast about waste. Uh, it really lends itself well into circular economies, and we can even start to think of buildings as material banks. So we, you know, we have a building, we use that material, and then we really need to stop thinking beyond. Okay, we're done with that building; it all goes to the landfill. To how do we how do we repurpose and, and reuse those uh, those resources that we have? So that's just that's another building related initiative that we are involved in. Yeah, I think so, it's really, um, Ian, is 
Yeah, I think it's really important when we're talking about buildings to think of the full life cycle. We talk about like the cradle to grave life cycle. We often focus on the um, operational period when we're actually kind of living or living in or using the building. But yeah, we have to think about, you know, where did those materials come from? Where those resources were extracted somewhere? There was energy went into the manufacturing, energy and greenhouse gas emissions went into the transportation of those materials. Then, of course, there's the operational um, period of the, the lifetime of the building. But again, what happens to the building when it reaches its end of life? What do we do with those materials? Do they end up in landfill or can they be repurposed? So I think we have to look kind of more holistically about buildings from cradle to grave, from the, the construction of the raw materials to uh, what's going to happen to these materials at the end of life, if we really kind of want to address kind of climate emissions end to end. That's a great point. Okay, to, to round up this podcast, I think it would be really helpful to try to leave people with some some tangible things that, that they can do. So I'm going to ask you each uh, a couple of questions. So what are two little things that people can reduce the carbon footprint of their homes? So someone who doesn't have a lot of time or a lot of money, what's what's a what's a quick win that that you can recommend people consider? Yeah, there's a couple of really easy things that you can do in your home. So one really is um, seal those air leaks. So we really lose a lot of heat out of our home through drafty windows and doors. So whether that's caulking and weather stripping the windows and doors to stop their air leak. And something else that I actually did in my home last winter is I replaced my thermostats with smart thermostats. So I have baseboard heaters in my home. And previously, my heating was on or off. And they were really old thermostats. I couldn't control the temperature very well at all. Whereas now, they're connected to my smartphone. And I can set the temperature individually in each um, room in my house. And because I'm a bit of a data geek, I can look on my smartphone and I can see how many kilowatt hours or units of energy I'm consuming in each room in my house on a daily basis. And so I think, you know, that just that kind of knowledge is power. You can see how you're using the energy in your home. And I don't have a lot of do it yourself skills, but I actually, through watching a couple of YouTube videos, managed to install the smart thermostats myself. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. And yeah, you're talking about a couple hundred dollar investment, but I do think that you'll see some benefits and you can certainly improve the comfort of your home as well as saving a few dollars on energy consumption. Those are great suggestions, Alison. Um, a couple of things I, I can suggest would be taking shorter showers. Uh, this has a double whammy effect. You can also help conserve water. Um, also, if you have a natural gas fireplace, over the summer months, turn that pilot light off. Just turn the natural gas fireplace off altogether. Turn off the pilot light and and appreciate the ambient air conditions that we have here in Squamish that are quite fantastic in the summertime. Great, those are fantastic suggestions. All right, so for our more ambitious audience, what are two bigger things that people can do to reduce the carbon footprint associated with their homes? Yeah, so for me, I think one of the really big things that you can do is if you have a fossil fuel heating system right now, that when that reaches its end of life, replace it with a heat pump. But I do emphasize when it reaches its end of life. I mean, it might have about a 15 or 18 year lifespan. You know, if that's just been recently installed, you have to weigh up again those embodied emissions. Is it worth replacing it yet? 
Um, but when it does replace its end, reaches end of life, consider replacing with a heat pump. But think a little bit ahead of time. If you know your heating system is already aging, start doing a bit of research now about your options. And then I would say similarly with your appliances at home, again, when they reach the end of life, if it's your washer dryer, your fridge, um, replace them with Energy Star appliances. So those are appliances that are, have a rating. It's a little um, icon you can you can see if you're shopping online or in one of the stores. It's labeled Energy Star and it's more energy efficient. Right, good good ideas, Allison. Um, so two big things people can do to reduce the carbon footprint of their homes. If you're planning a big renovation, make sure to include energy efficiency improvements, especially for example, if you're replacing siding and windows. Uh, improving air tightness, installing exterior insulation, uh, consider triple pane windows. The other suggestion I would have here would be to work with knowledgeable and qualified contractors uh, to access a lot of the provincial and federal rebates currently available. Uh, check out the betterhomesbc.ca website where they've consolidated uh, rebate opportunities for all types of systems uh, and different financing options as well. So when I talk, when I talk to fellow homeowners, you know, <laughs> it's people are busy these days, and something I often hear is someone just kind of scratch their head and say, "I just don't know where to start. I I want to do something, but I just get so overwhelmed so quickly. Where do I start? Uh, what would you What would you say to that person? Uh, where Where do you start? I think if you are really serious about um, reducing energy consumption in your home and possibly also reducing greenhouse gas emissions, it's really worthwhile investing um, in an energy assessment of your home. So um, a professional energy advisor comes to your home and they spend about two or three hours and they'll go through the home and identify for you um, basically where you can start and they'll kind of give you a, a prioritized list of the things that you should do to your home to make it more energy efficient. So I think if you're really serious, that's a really great place to start because you're going to get professional advice. What about you, Corrine? What do you think? Well, you stole my idea there. That's for sure what I would have recommended as well. Um, and just to plug that there's rebates for that as well. So go check out betterhomesbc.ca. Um, I'd say, well, you know, I'd like to direct listeners to the building section of the district's climate action website. We've identified four steps towards making a building more energy efficient. And the first step starts with reducing your energy demand. Before you do anything else, minimize, reduce any wasted energy in your home. Uh, you can make small behavioral changes like turning off the heating system before opening a window, not leaving the front door open unnecessarily, or as Allison mentioned earlier, uh, put in a programmable or smart thermostat and program in nighttime setbacks, uh, different temperature settings, depending if it's the weekend or weekdays, uh, that can have an impact. All these little things add up. So really looking at uh, reducing your energy demand first and foremost, that's what I would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there are a number of um, rebates available right now. Um, I think we've already mentioned um, Better Homes BC, Clean BC rebates, and then also there's a federal program, the Greener Homes Grant, where there's up to $5,000 available for homeowners um, for energy efficiency um, retrofits to their home, including heat pumps, uh, windows, insulation. Um, so, and a lot of these rebates are stackable. You can kind of qualify for rebates in different locations. So definitely worth looking into if you are considering um, making some improvements to your home. 
Can't you even get a refund on your loan insurance? Yeah, um, you can re receive up to 25% refund in mortgage loan insurance if you renovate your home to improve energy efficiency. So that's worth checking out as well. Great. Well, I feel like this is a this is a really good list of kind of both small and, and larger actions that people can take. And it's uh, I, I think you've both done a really good job of noting that there's there's some very small things that that we can do and some and some very large things as well. And they they all they all matter. Just want to uh, people listening to uh, just a little teaser to please keep uh, keep your eyes peeled on the climate action website. There's more programs coming up. We're hopefully going to be uh, rolling out the um, rolling out the heat pump program soon, hopefully in early 2022. So yeah, keep keep looking at the climate action website, and we we're going to be doing what we can to to keep move this forward. Uh, Kareen and Allison, is there any any final tidbits of information or any things you want to share before we before we call things? I would encourage. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ian. Uh, I would like to encourage homeowners if they're at all curious to have a look and see what they can do. There's lots of information available on the internet these days. Uh, Clean BC is a great resource. Even if actually, you know what? Go check out even the utilities websites. Both BC Hydro and Fortis BC are very active in uh, encouraging and promoting and providing tips and even incentives for people to reduce energy use in their homes. You can get a credit back on your utility bill actually by going through the tips and implementing uh, some measures that they're recommending. Uh, I did that and got 10 bucks off uh, my utility bill. That was great. Um, but yeah, don't be shy, get in there and ask questions. Um, you may come up against contractors who might be resistant at first. Um, shop around. There's lots of contractors that are very, very knowledgeable and qualified to do energy retrofits. Um, so keep shopping until you find a contractor that you feel is addressing and speaking to what it is you're looking to do in your home and what the benefits are. And it's not always about reducing your energy cost at the end of the day. Uh, energy retrofits do a significant benefit to improving your comfort inside your home. Uh, there's many examples that I can cite. Uh, let's look at windows, for example. If you have triple pane windows, I know that sounds a bit crazy, but actually it's not that crazy. Um, you can really improve the thermal comfort of your home. Uh, you might be in an older home. Have you ever noticed if you buy a window, a single pane window, how uncomfortable and cold and drafty it is? If you ever have the opportunity to go into a passive home or a house or a building built to passive house standard, hang out by the windows there and you'll be so pleasantly surprised. The other thing you'll notice is uh, noise comfort. You feel like you're in a cocoon. <laughs> it really blocks out outside noise and creates that little special safe haven uh, that we all like to, to recede to in our own homes in such a chaotic world. <laughs> So look beyond the energy savings and look at all the other benefits of, of home energy retrofits. And um, talk to your friends and family and neighbours as well. So if this is something that's kind of front and centre of your mind, making your home more energy efficient and reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, perhaps your neighbours aren't really kind of, this is not something that they're aware of. So talk to your neighbours, talk to your friends and family, because they might also be interested in uh, making their home more comfortable, saving some money on their utility bills as well. Great. Thanks for those, those final takeaways.
Well, Kareen and Allison, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us today. This has been super interesting and I definitely have, have learned a lot myself. Thanks You're for welcome. having us, Ian. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>